But we're going to get into God's Word together. We are working our way through the series on Moses. And here we are, Moses versus Pharaoh 4. And the word of the day is condemnation. What happens when people keep playing games with God and they won't give up the fight? That's where we're going today. And so we're going to open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 9 and 10. Go ahead, open up your Bibles to Exodus 9. Take notes. There's a poor fellow in the first service. I don't know what happened, but he came up and asked me about a point. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I preached that. And he had taken no notes. And so he missed the whole point. All right. So take notes because it will keep you engaged and you won't miss anything. But here we are in Exodus chapter 9 and chapter 10. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word of God together. Father, we thank you so much that you have filled your word with awesome stories, stories of righteousness, stories of faithfulness, your promises, your warnings, and today you will acquaint us with the Holy One of Israel. Today you will show us what happens when earth wages war with heaven and your patience begins to run out. We pray that you would teach us about how you relate to us, how you relate to the world around us, and we ask that you would teach us the true ways of a holy God. Uh, Bless the preaching of your word as you've promised you would. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we are. I hope your Bible is open. It's Exodus chapter 9. Um, you've missed some of the sermons. They're all online. They're all on our app, so catch up. Um, but here's the deal. It's 1500 B.C. God made some promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, Joseph carried those forth, but the Israelites are stuck in slavery in Egypt. 1500 B.C. The promises God made were that, uh, were that he would give his people a land, a seed, and a blessing. There's no Israel yet. They're all stuck. There's no country. And so God's going to free them, march them out of Egypt, and give them a place called Israel. Then, out of that country will come the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That hasn't happened yet. So God is keeping his promises, and Pharaoh is standing in the way of God's plan to save the world actually happening. Bad place to be. Check out chapter 9, verse 13. We're moving on to plague number, what what does it say? Do you have the little titles in your Bible? How many? How many? How many rounds has Pharaoh gone with God? All right, this is the seventh round, and Pharaoh's not giving it up. So here we are, chapter 9, verse 13. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues, on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that get this so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth what did what did pharaoh say when moses first approached him who is the lord that i should fear him bad idea to say that because god is now introducing him to the lord of heaven verse 15 for by now i could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, because of this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Hey, write this down, number one. End the rebellion against God. Uh, End the rebellion against God. 
we're supposed to see between Pharaoh and God the common human condition. The basic human problem is not intelligence. It's not that we're ignorant, that we need to know some more things. It's not even uh, physical. It's not health care. It's not that if we could only cure disease, then humans would flourish. Our basic problem is rebellion, spiritual rebellion against the holy God who made and owns the universe. And this battle between Pharaoh and God represents the battle between heaven and earth, uh, between God and the world. And we were all born on the wrong side, wearing the wrong jersey. We have to, therefore, at some point in our lives, end the rebellion against God. Listen to what God said here. He said, go to Pharaoh early in the morning. God wants to be the first thing on Pharaoh's agenda, early in the morning. How many of you woke up early in the morning Friday to go Black Friday shopping? Raise your hand up if you went Black Friday shopping uh, a couple days ago. No one participates in the mayhem. Good few people. I do it every year. Every year I did it. And uh, I grabbed three kids, threw them in the car, and we went out into, into the apocalypse. It was amazing. <laughs> How many of you went out Black Friday shopping Thursday night, like after your Thanksgiving meal? All right, now actually I just busted you because I do not endorse shopping on Thanksgiving. I think that is sin and you need to repent. <laughs> All right, I police, I'm like the Thanksgiving police. We were, we were at Thanksgiving at my mom's house, okay? And I, I won't say who, but I caught a family member on the phone during the Thanksgiving meal bidding on something on eBay. Like phone in one hand, fork in the other. I tattled. I said, Mom, she's on her phone during the meal. She got in big trouble. It was awesome. All right, so none of this, nobody in this church should be shopping on Thanksgiving, all right? But once midnight rolls around, you're fine. But here we are, up early in the morning. Why? Because we have our priorities, and we want to get the deals, we want to get the discounts, so we know what that feels like to get up early to get something going, right? Here's what Moses is doing. God wants him up early, and he wants, Pharaoh's like yawning, right? He's got his first cup of coffee, and then suddenly it's like, knock, 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 knock. Who is it? Uh, Moses, first thing of the day. You see, and there are going to be times in your life where God makes it very clear to you that the rebellion must end right now. There are seasons in your life where God will allow you to distance yourself from him, and you see, it, it seems like you're just not even bothered by God. Uh, but then there are times where he is banging on the front door. And we must end the rebellion against God. We were born at war with God. There is war between heaven and earth. There is war between heaven and hell. And we have to switch sides. There comes a point in your life when you must put down your weapons and come out with your hands up, waving the white flag. The war is done. F.W. Borum said this, Now sin is a revolt from the divine authority. It is the anarchy of the soul. That's true. Whenever we sin, we're rebelling against God. And a life filled with sin is a life filled with rebellion. Therefore, we have to end the revolt. We have to end the anarchy and the lawlessness that comes when we live life our own way. Why? Everybody say, why? I got two reasons why. Jot this down. Because God's patience will soon run out. God's patience will soon run out. In chapter 9, verse 14, God says, I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people. It's all coming. All the pain I've promised you is on the way. 
Well, it doesn't seem like God cares. I mean, it seems like there's nothing really bad happening. It's coming. All of it. Everything painful he's promised is on the way. His patience will run out. He goes on to say, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you, had, you would have been cut off from the earth. I could have ended your country. Uh, this is haunting because it doesn't matter how rich the United States is. It doesn't matter how strong our military is. If God says the word, we're done. He, he can just go like this. And off we go. Off we go. Like many nations before us into the delete file of history. He just waves his arm. I could have ended you. And how comforting is it right now to know that at any point in your past, God could have said, your rebellion is complete, and off you go. Game over. And we are all here because of the long-suffering and patience of a merciful and holy God. This is an amazing truth. But, but, his patience will soon run out. God's correction is meant to lead us to repentance. Don't be deceived. God hates all of your sin. All of it. Every sin of yours in your past, present, and future will be punished. The question is, how? We have the option of trusting the Lord Jesus so that God's judgment falls on him, or we will pay in full for every sin. I like what A.J. Gossip says. How about a name like that? It's, it's, it's a challenge when your last name is a sin. I don't know how he gets through that. But A.J. Gossip said this, The core and essence of the gospel is its tremendous and glorious revelation of how deadly is God's hatred of sin so that he cannot, uh, he cannot stand having it in the same universe as himself. And he will go any length and will pay any price and will make any sacrifice to master and abolish it. He set upon doing so in our hearts, thank God, as elsewhere. That's a good word. God can't stand having sin in the same universe as himself. That's good news for you because when you get to heaven, you want no sin. Zero percent chance of sin the rest of eternity. Name one sin you would want in heaven. Theft, that's great. You get to heaven and then the first day your iPhone gets stolen. Heaven without, heaven with sin is not heaven. Heaven with any sin is not heaven. And God is determined to rid the universe of all sin. We're very selective about the sin we want God to take care of, right? How can God let things get this bad in the world? Where is he? How come he's not doing anything? What about the sin in your heart? Are you challenging him to get all the sin out of your heart, every single last one of them, immediately? No. We're very selective about the sin we want God to end, and yet he will ultimately, eventually, end all sin. His patience will soon run out. Which side are you on? Jot this down. End the rebellion against God. Everybody say, why? Because God's warnings will prove true. His warnings will prove true. Um, going on to verse 20, he says this, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. All right, two examples. What to do and what not to do. Uh, those who feared the what? Feared the what? Feared the word of the Lord. Right, this right here is the word of the Lord. This is the message handed down to us. God speaking to us 
Those who feared the word of the Lord got out of the way. And those who didn't fear the word of the Lord didn't respond. And they stayed right in the path of God's judgment and they were taken out. Anyone outside died. I mean, the animals outside are about to die because of the hail. Please understand the point here. If you go home today and you're like, I'm so afraid of hail. There's going to be hail fall. You you didn't even catch the point. The point is not that you're supposed to be like, now I have to be afraid of hail and frogs. Uh, No, 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 you're missing it. This is what you're supposed to be afraid of. The warnings that God has said, you're supposed to get out of the way of danger. Okay, It's the word of the Lord that we're supposed to respond to. God's warnings will prove true. And some feared and fled and survived, and some disregarded the warning and perished. And that will be true for us as well. Reading on, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail. Fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. This is, this is like, wow, God is raining down hail Big hail enough to break plants and trees, and it's killing their food supply. But it's more than that. There's rain, and it's more than that. There's fire, uh, which is lightning, but it, it sounds like it's even more than that. Like things on fire are falling out of the sky. Now, God did something like this to a different city. What, what city did he do this to before? Sodom and Gomorrah. The whole land is on fire. And anybody who's just outside, I don't fear what God said. Who cares what he said? Suddenly, fire is falling from the sky. And they paid for it with their life. And the rebellion against God. Listen, this is a real story, and God really did this. And it is a warning of, first of all, what's to come on our world, which is in rebellion against God. But second, it's a warning of what's to come in the next life for anyone who hears the warnings in this book and disregards them. Disregards them. The people weren't out in the field doing like grossly sinful stuff they weren't like i'm gonna go out in the field and i'm gonna you know kick some puppies you know they were just not responding to the word of the lord they're just going on with their lives when judgment was upon them same thing happened in noah's day it says people were just going on with their lives when the wrath was coming people scheduled their wedding day when the flood came going on with their lives and neglecting the warnings of the word of God and the rebellion against God because God's patience will soon run out and because God's warnings will prove true. God can just get rid of a nation and annihilate it anytime he wants to. The conflict between heaven and earth here, between Pharaoh and uh, God, Pharaoh doesn't have a chance. Pharaoh doesn't have a chance. Do you know what it takes to control the weather like that and to just be like lightning, fire, hail, uh, big hail? I mean, this is like bowling balls plus falling out of the sky, killing people. And God's warnings are proving true. G.K. Chesterton reflected on this, how nations can just come and go. 
and what that tells us about the true kingdom of heaven. And here's what he said. He said, as Christians, we know that here we have no continuing city, that crowns roll in the dust, and every earthly kingdom must sometimes flounder. Whereas we acknowledge a king men did not crown and cannot dethrone. As we are citizens of a city of God, they did not build and cannot destroy. A city of God, they did not build and cannot destroy. Our king will never lose his crown. Our city will never be destroyed. Pharaoh, he thought he was eternal. He thought he could protect his people. And he's ruining his whole country with his defiance. Understand that your starting point with God is war. There's hostility between you and God. Oh, no, not me. I was raised in a Christian family. I went to Awana. I had a sash with patches on it. Yeah, that doesn't change your heart, okay? You, you should have memorized the fact then that you have sinned before a holy God, all right? That patch should have been on there. Uh, and you're, you, maybe you were around Christians growing up, but all that did was tell you the true nature of your own heart, that your heart is hostile toward a holy God, and you have to lay down your weapons, hold up your hands, and say, I surrender. That's the truth. And it doesn't matter where you were raised. And it doesn't matter if you were raised outside the church. You can come into the family of God and he will freely receive you. Number one, we have to end the rebellion against God. Number two, humble yourself before the Lord. So moving on to the next plague, Pharaoh doesn't get it. God rains fire and hail down and Pharaoh still doesn't get it. So things get worse. Check out chapter 10, verse 1, where it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for, listen, don't read past this, for I have hardened his heart. We're going to camp on that for a second coming up. I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. There it is again. It's all about what Pharaoh and what Moses knows to be true about God. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to, that, said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How listen, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. This is a question God is asking many in this room right now. He's asking Christians in this room. He's asking unbelievers in this room right now. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail." And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all of your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen, from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand Egypt is ruined? His own servants are trying to tell him. How long, it says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Humble yourself before the Lord. 
Get low. Don't just make deals with God. Don't just manage your sin like, well, well, I'll sin a little less if, if God promises to bless me. Don't make deals. People too often try and make deals with God. Life gets hard, they run to church. They want their problems to go away. Their problems go away, and then they don't come anymore. Or their problems don't go away, so they give up because their problems didn't go away. This is deal-making, and this is not true humility. Pharaoh is demonstrating for us what not to do. Pharaoh is showing us the life lived where humility is a last resort. Humility is a last resort. And let that not be said of you. Maybe there were times in your life where humility was your last resort. And after God beat it out of you, then finally you fell on your face and begged him for mercy. But this is true for all of us. Maybe you have a family member where being reasonable is a last resort. I mean, they go through a whole lot of fussing and a whole lot of strife before they'll finally be reasonable. Uh, and, and if we're honest, we've all had times in our lives where humility and being reasonable is a last resort. And this is where Pharaoh's at. And maybe that's you and God. Maybe you have, it's a last resort that you will humble yourself before the Lord. Well, danger, we're being warned here. Jot this down. Humble yourself before the Lord before your heart is hardened and you can't stop. It says here in chapter 10, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. <clears throat> we could talk about this for a long time, but let me give you a summary of what this means. What this means is sin is taking you somewhere. And it's not a place of freedom, it's a place of bondage. The longer you walk with sin, the less freedom you will have. You have to understand that sin is lying to you. If you follow any sin, a financial sin, if you follow any sin, a sin in a relationship with someone you shouldn't be with, if you follow any sin, an, an attitude sin, an emotional sin, like letting your anger become commonplace, the more you walk with that sin, the less freedom you will ultimately have. And ultimately, what you will realize is you're not in control of that sin anymore. That sin is in control of you. And you get to the point where you can't stop, even if you want to, because it controls you. Sometimes people talk about sin as if they're in control. And I just say, it sounds to me like you're walking a T-Rex. All right? I don't care how tightly you hold the leash. You're not in control. And it will soon, when it gets hungry, gobble you up. All right? Uh, well, I got a choke chain on it. Yeah, it's not going to work. All right? You can't control your sin. And here we see the advanced stages of Pharaoh's sin, where he's hardened his heart a bunch of times, and God is now hardening his heart so that he can't change. And how do we understand that? Well, <clears throat> we understand that when we play games with God, where we, we want the benefits of God in our life, but we want the freedom to sin. Pharaoh wants his food, and he wants his sin. He wants his crops, and he wants his sin. He wants his slaves, and he wants the sun to shine. And God says, no deal. When we play games with God, uh, these are the people who, who want their extramarital affair, and they want to come to church with no one asking them about it. You know, they want to steal money from their job, but they want to sing to the Lord on Sunday, and God will blow that thing up, and he will drive you further into that sin than your little games would have taken you because he won't let that stand. He will not be mocked. 
This is God hardening the heart. When you tamper with your conscience and you want to sin more comfortably, God will blow that up. He has many ways to do that. One of the ways is church discipline. When people come in and we have to put them under church discipline, they've got really this much time to figure out which way they're going to go. And we've seen the people who have been broken by their sin and turned back and revival breaks out. And we've seen the people who suddenly, I've seen the look on their face change when they realize we're going to deal with their sin carefully. And uh, the look on their face, you can see the hardness of their heart taking over. And they leave the room like a different person. God's doing that. He's thrusting them over to their sin and he's making them live in it because they wanted it both ways. Church discipline will lead to a harder heart. Uh, The government, law enforcement will lead to a hardened heart. When someone's getting away with their crimes, you know, oh, they're happy as a clam. But as soon as they get caught and they get booked and they get thrown in jail, they've got a little time to figure out what they're going to do. But if they say, I haven't done anything wrong, they're lying, their heart gets so hard and they have to start owning the lie at a level that they didn't bank on. See, and it changes them and they become a different person because they are in the hardness of their sin. Uh, And so law enforcement can lead to a harder heart. Church discipline can lead to a hardened heart. God can directly spiritually lead to a hardened heart. He's used demons to do it before, uh, but where he just turns you over to a sin and action or this even happens with a false belief. People will not eat the gospel. They won't swallow it. They keep spitting it back up, even though they've been taught it their whole life. So God turns them over to a delusion, so they buy into a false religion and make absolute, you know these people, they're making absolute fools of themselves with what they're willing to believe when they've been raised on the truth. And you're like, how did this happen? I raised them better than that. Yeah, God has hardened their heart, and he's made them a fool to make an example of them. Now you might be like, well, what about the freedom of choice? What about the freedom of will? Right. God doesn't give everyone, anyone, he doesn't give anyone the freedom to live any old way they want. He gives us the freedom to choose to live in the path of his commands. And the more we choose that, the more liberty we have. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when we are free to run in the path of his commands, our hearts enjoy more joy than ever before. But the more we choose to walk down a path of sin, the more bound up we are. We're at war with God and we lose our freedom. Ultimately, it will destroy us. This is all very deep and concerning, but here's the point. When you begin walking down a hallway of sin, there are doors and there are windows where you can escape. All right? And your conscience is going off like crazy. Why are you watching that show? Why are you with that person? Alert, alert, alert. And if you keep walking down that hall, fewer doors, fewer windows, and the windows are higher up. And as you keep walking down that hall, you suddenly have maybe one final escape window that's way up there and harder to find. You've pushed away the people who are telling you the truth. And ultimately, walking down that path of sin can do irreversible damage to your life. You can't go back to the way things were because it has you. I'm not saying God can't forgive. I'm not saying he can't restore you. But the further into sin and bondage you go, the more it will cost you. And the more likely it is that you will never go back to the way things were before you walk down that path. Humble yourself before the Lord, before your heart is hardened and you can't stop. Jot this down, before, uh, because the consequences of sin will multiply. The consequences of sin will multiply. We see that the locusts come and, you know, the hail fell and, and uh, it, it fell and destroyed all of like the crops earlier in the year and then the locusts come and things that are still up there, you know, it, it devours them. 
And anybody who was out in the field, the hail fell and it killed them. And, but those who feared the word of the Lord, they survived. And now with the locusts, the consequences just keep multiplying. We will reap what we sow. I went out to my yard because this fall is a great time to plant grass seed, right? Any of you plant grass seed this fall because you got some patches, you know? On, all right, so I went out. I don't have the push thing because I'm economically conscious. It's, it's a fancier way of saying cheap, but I just have like the handheld, and so I dump the bag in there and I walk. I put seed everywhere. I planted seed everywhere. And then a week later, we went out. We had this straw bale, a decorative straw bale on our sidewalk. You know, it's got some pumpkins on it and everything. And suddenly, it has a whole layer of green grass right on the top of it. <laughs> this is yellow straw bale with a green, like, afro, like, uh, you know, <laughs> mohawk on the top. And the kids are like, what happened to the straw bale? I'm like, I planted grass seed, and apparently I hit the straw bale, too. If you plant seed, it will grow. And it's so sad and tragic when we sit in counseling sessions and we're helping people to deal with the things that are now growing in their life, right? The rebellion in their children, the, the strain in their finances, the pain in their marriage, and you try and take the consequences and show them how it links up with their choices, and they don't want this to happen. They don't want to feel that their choices have led to the consequences, and you need to understand that the Bible promises you will reap what you sow. So the consequences of sin will multiply. Galatians 6, 7 to 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh uh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The flesh here describes the part of you that finds sin appetizing, the part of you that wants to feast on sinful choices. That's your flesh. And if you, if you plant to that, if you feed that, you will reap the consequences of that. But if you sow to the Spirit, meaning you feed the spiritual desires, right, the Word of God and obedience, then those things will grow stronger. It's like crop warfare in your heart. Humble yourself before the Lord, before your heart is hardened and you can't stop because the consequences of sin will multiply and jot this down, because God's purposes will soon prevail. The word of the Lord will prove true. The reason we sin is because every time you sin, it's because you don't think God's warnings will come true and because you don't think God's promises will come true. 100% of the time. Those two things have to be believed before you will sin, even the smallest sin. You don't think God will punish you, and you don't think he'll bless obedience. So you'll take the shortcut. It's the lies that lead you to sin. But when you understand that God's purposes will soon prevail, all his promises and all his warnings will soon be permanent forever. Every word of God will prove true. If you bank on that, you will always do what pleases the Lord. Because you know it'll pay off, because you know you'll avoid the warnings. God's purposes will soon prevail. This whole like, well, if I was in charge, things would be different. I don't like the way God, that, all of that has to end. And you have to end the rebellion and humble yourself before the Lord. J. Vernon McGee said this, God has a universe. He can run it how he wants. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> it's so simple. He's in charge. He's doing a great job. End the rebellion. Humble yourself before it's too late. Number three, write this down. Seek the light of heaven. 
So we've seen the hail and the fire. Then we've seen the locusts. <clears throat> so the food supply is all gone. Now we're seeing, seeking the light of heaven. The hail stopped because Pharaoh was like, please, please make it stop. The locusts went away because God picked them up and swept them away because Pharaoh's like, forgive me just this one time. Yeah, all right, great plan. Reading on in chapter 10, verse 21, here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Interesting. Then Pharaoh called... Light is supposed to be Pharaoh's thing, is my understanding. Like, he's supposed to be a god, and he's supposed to keep the lights on. Oops. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Moses, he's still dealing. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know uh, with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord, here it is again, hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Seek the light of heaven. Um, God takes the light away from Egypt. We should see the spiritual implications of this. This is a reversal of the act of creation. What did God say in, in the beginning? God said, let there be. And now he said, let there not be light. And away it went. See, Egypt... You are despising your creator and sustainer. I'm the one who turned the lights on, and I can turn them off. And this is pitch black. Nobody left their houses. Who knows what this is? But, like, it's not like they had torches up there. Like, no one could see anything. And the Israelites had light. This is a spiritual message. Um, when it, again... If you're like, oh, now I'm, gonna afraid that, I'm afraid that God's going to turn the sun off and send locusts and drop, you're missing it. It's not what we're supposed to be afraid of. We're supposed to be afraid of what the God of heaven will do if we don't heed the warnings. We're supposed to seek the light of heaven. There are spiritual truths that are being displayed here. Egypt was in spiritual darkness. They couldn't see the light of heaven. You see the spiritual truth here? This is what we're supposed to be afraid of. Jot this down. We were all born into darkness. The Bible not only describes our human condition as being at war with God, it also says we can't see God. We're blind. We live in darkness. And it's not only because we were born into sin. Um, you might be like, well, where's the justice in that? I was just born a sinner. I didn't choose that. Yeah, but the Bible also says we love darkness. See, so it's not just by nature that we're sinful, it's by choice. It's both. We were born into darkness, and your eyes were closed to God when you were born. You were born with your eyes closed spiritually. And you walked around blind. And only Jesus can come up and give you sight. Only Jesus can show you God. 
If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're in darkness. You can't see God yet. I was driving in college on 294. I was driving, and um, suddenly I got something in my eye. And I've got contacts. I got something in my eye, and I was like, oh, I got something in my eye. Then I got something in my other eye. And I was like this. And I screamed (laughs) because I'm driving the speed limit. I think, I can't see the speedometer. (laughs) Your Honor, I'm driving, and I can't see. And thankfully, it took a second and a half for me to be like, "Ah!" and 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 then my eyes opened back up. I was like, I didn't want that for two seconds. And and for some in this room, you have not been able to see spiritually since you were born. Jesus has to come and open your eyes so that you can see God, so that you can see his ways. I was terrified of driving blind, let alone living, let alone dying blind. But the truth is, we were all born into darkness. In Acts 26, 18, it talks about the mission of the gospel, why Jesus came. It says in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that opens your eyes so you can see God. That's true of everybody in this church who was born into a Christian family and everybody who wasn't. Only faith in Jesus Christ can open your eyes so that you can see God. If not, you're like Egypt. You're in the dark. God needs to turn the lights on. Jot this down. Jesus is the light of the world. The Israelites were not sinless. They were sinful, right? And why was their light there? Because of their relationship to God. That's why. And your relationship to Jesus is what makes you a light in the darkness. The Bible says we're a city on a hill, uh, right? We're, we're, we're a, a lamp on a stand. We're not supposed to cover it over with the basket. What makes it, we're, Philippians says that we are like stars in the universe holding out the word of life to all those who, living, who are living in darkness. That's us. Why? Not because we're anything special, but because we've got Jesus in our lives. And it says here in John eight twelve. again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you know Jesus? Your relationship to him will show you God. If not, you're like Egypt. You're in the dark. We were all born into darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And write this down. Jesus alone can bring you out of darkness. Seek the light of heaven. This is a spiritual truth. Jesus alone can help you see God. He can open your eyes so that you once were blind, but now you see. Jesus alone helps you to see God's ways so that you can know how to please him. Jesus alone helps you to walk in the light so that you can live in a right way before God. Do you know hell, hell is described as a place of fire. There's light there for sure, but it's symbolic. It's also described as a place of deep darkness, meaning it's like being blind to God forever. Permanent spiritual blindness. You'll never see God again. That's terrifying. And Egypt is there. But heaven is filled with the light of the presence of God. Heaven is described as a giant city with walls that are made of stone so pure that the light passes through it. And God himself in his divine heavenly light is shining and making it light up. Heaven is the place filled with the light of the knowledge of God. And the Bible says that this light of the knowledge of the glory of God is found in the face 
of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know the light of heaven or are you living in darkness? In Luke 1, 76 to 79, it says this of John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord, that's Jesus, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is great. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Christmas is called a sunrise. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Hey, you're described as sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, and you need a sunrise. You're Egypt, you're Pharaoh, so am I. But the light of the world, Jesus Christ, came to save us. I want to close with a word of prayer, and I want to give you the opportunity to end the rebellion against the God who made you and loves you, to humble yourself before the Lord, and to seek the light of heaven. Let's all close our eyes and let's bow our hearts and let's pray to the Lord together right now. Jesus, I know that there are some in this room right here who are feeling convicted to the heart because the war is still raging between you and them. But they're ready to surrender. They're ready to end it. They've gone round one and two and three and four and five with you and they want the fight to be over. They want to know the light of your presence. They don't want to live alone in darkness anymore. And so I just think of those people and pray, Lord, that they would open their heart and surrender and repent right now. Lord, sometimes we just don't know what to say, and I want to give them words that they can pray in their own hearts right now. They can just pray to you saying, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I have rebelled. I have broken your law. I've been at war with you. I've lived in darkness. Father, may they pray right now saying, Jesus, light of the world, forgive me for all of my sins. Oh Lord, may they pray right now saying, Jesus, deliver me. Bring me into your kingdom forever. Rescue me from my sins. Father, I just pray for anyone who is calling out to you in their own heart. May you receive them. Fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your light. And help them to know that you will never leave them. You will never forsake them because you have come to rescue them. As they hear the warning of the word of God and they flee the safety, just as you rescued those Egyptians who heard the word and ran, so may they know that your wrath will never fall upon them. Even better, they can walk with you every step of the way from now until you return for them. We pray that you would give them this hope found in Christ alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.